Abolition. Abolition. Look at them flames lighting up the sky. Ain't never seen fire shooting up so high. Look at them flames lighting up the sky. Look at them flames lighting up the sky. I ain't never seen fire shooting up so high. Are you listening, people, to what I'm saying? Because it sure looks to me like them niggas ain't playing. Them niggas ain't playing. Them niggas ain't playing. Them niggas ain't playing. Ever since they passed them civil rights, those fires have been lighting up the nights. And they say they ain't gonna stop till we all have equal rights. Looks to me like them niggas ain't playing. Them niggas ain't playing. Them niggas ain't playing. Them niggas ain't playing. Looks like they developed a new black pride. It even showing the way they now stride. You better look around, y'all. Can't you see what I'm saying? Show looks to me like them niggas ain't playing. Them niggas ain't playing. They show ain't. They show ain't playing. I think they're trying to get something started. Oh, yeah. I'm talking about Snick and us and the Black Panther Party. Yeah. Is anyone listening to what I'm saying? Yeah, man. Because it sure looks to me like them niggas ain't playing. Them niggas ain't playing. Them niggas ain't playing. Them niggas ain't playing. 18 billion so far is the claim of damage done by looting and flame. Yet look around, there ain't nothing changed. Nothing oh, changed. I sure hope somebody is listening to what I'm saying. Because it sure looks to me like them niggas ain't playing. Them niggas ain't playing. Them niggas ain't playing. Them niggas sure ain't playing. The biggest and the virtues, they just can't see. This now black generation is going to be free. Just you try and stop them and for sure you see what I'm saying. Show looks to me like them niggas ain't playing. Them niggas ain't playing. Them niggas ain't playing. Them niggas ain't playing. Now where the black man is going is anybody's guess. With his natural hair and his afro dress. But you can believe one thing and forget the rest. We We know know for sure. Them niggas niggas ain't playing. And we ain't either. Yes. My beautiful brothers and sisters, only got one question. Are you ready? Come on. I got so much trouble on my mind. Look at how they out here killing one another. Only police here to really get us. Niggas really got a job when it's okay to kill us. Fuck that shit now. Nigga here to talk that shit now. Don't get caught up in the threats now. We hit a stick of fuck up in that bitch now. You raping with us, do not try to switch now. You been part of the fabric or the snitch now. Fuck the systematic oppression, sit down. Like you can still hit me with your little whip now. We command justice and we come to get it. Still fucking unapologetic with it. Our ancestors was dropping prophetic with it. They told us we are jackals, so we magnetic with it. Say what? Say what? I heard blue, black, be the new black. Uh, the drive and survive, where they do that? Uh, the target on my back, where they shoot at? Uh, the muscle in my neck, where they do that? Uh, they been dropped the bomb on a compound. That's above and beyond with a stop now. Uh, we been forewarned that I count down. The brother said they gon' work it out now. Uh, the devil been a lie this whole time. I had to dig deeper than a diamond, a gold mine. It's showtime. I beg Robert with a soul mine, a phone line. Ain't secure, I'm no mature to Haitian. Face the God forsaken race relations. Basically the case for reparations. In a Chevy Caprice and six degrees of Kevin Bacon. No justice, no peace. Say what, say what? Now they let you in, but in a beautiful
use you for it. And if you try to call a spade a spade, they're taking all your funding away. That's how they play. They do drugs, they the victim. If you do drugs, you getting booked through the system. They kids act up in school, they see the principal. My kids act up, we let the municipal is criminal. How black kids are never seen as children. We grow up too fast, becoming victims. Over-sexualized, but underrepresented. But it's all for right, we wanted the attention. That's how you pass the buck. Don't act surprised when we act up. See, the virus got a jab that's distressing lots. Now America's on fire, the blister pop. Ain't nobody got immunity but aristocrats. We ain't safe in our communities, aristocrats. If Brianna can't sleep in her own damn home, Trayvon can't walk and just fall on the phone. Or my can't jog without being hunted and a shot like a dog. But if he was a dog, he'd probably get more love. Killers would have spent their whole lives behind bars. But he's one of ours and the rules on the block. Shot think I'm breaking the back seven times. Said he won't comply, but didn't Floyd comply and still you kneel down on the deck until he died. But let cow walk by. Both of them are right, full of burgers of price. The law is the law or the law is a lie. Cause if Rihanna can't sleep and Amon can't run, George can't breathe and Tamir can't be young and Elijah can't walk, Sandra can't talk, it's gonna be no fucking peace out on your sidewalk. Say what, say what? Can't hear y'all. Look louder. Can't hear y'all. You just heard them niggas ain't playing by the Watts Prophets, followed by No Peace, the Salam Remory featuring Busta Rhymes, Black Thought, Dougie Fresh, and Moo Moo Fresh. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6th Central, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org. Abolition Today is also available on all major podcast platforms and is simulcast on the Black Talk Radio Network. My name is Yusuf Hassan, and I'm fired up right now. I'm joined, (laughs) as always, by my co-host, Max Parthas. Peace, Max. What's going on, brother? Peace, Brother Yusuf. Uh, I'm here at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center in Sumter, South Carolina, where actual revolutions happen. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Max, you and I last week we kicked ass by you know, well, excuse that. We we uh we broke some historical ground last week surrounding the announcement of HB one ninety six, the slavery abolition bill in Louisiana that was introduced by Representative Edmund Jordan in collaboration with the Louisiana Coalition to Abolish Slavery. And joining the discussion last week was our special guest host, uh, spoken word artist, Globetrotter and Navy veteran Wayne Breeze Watson, who blessed the mic, our airwaves, with you know a live performance that was one for the ages. So I encourage everyone to go back and listen to that. This week, well, Max, as you say, 
ain't no party like a slave catcher party because a slave catcher party don't stop, right? Well, we're going to be right. examining generational trauma. What causes it? How does it manifest? Who inflicts it and why? And we'll also be joined by Rhode Island Poet Laureate nominee and playwright Christopher the Incredible Johnson. Christopher Johnson is the recipient of the 2018 Rhode Island State Council of the Arts Fellowship for Playwriting. He's also a finalist for the 2018 McCall Johnson Fellowship and an award-winning slam poet for real. And, of course, you know, a, a longtime friend of yours, Max. And, of course, we have some great music, poetry, the words of the ancestors that are going to be brought to life in our Bridging the Gap segment. So, Max, let's start it off by, you know, checking in on your week. Man, it's been an eventful week as always. Uh, most of it is stuff that I can't even talk about. You know what I mean? Like behind the scenes. But some of the things I will talk about is yesterday was the first anniversary of the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, which is the sponsor of the program we're on right now, Abolition Today, is where I'm broadcasting from. Uh, so that was our anniversary yesterday, uh, the 17th. Mm-hmm. And we started a fundraiser in order to put a mural on our wall by Thomas the Younger Washington here out of the Carolina area. And he's an awesome artist. So he came down, took a look at it. He's like, this is one of the biggest honors, if not the, in my life. And he's going to get it done. Mm. So we're trying to raise a grand to make sure, at least a grand, to make sure that he walks away with some money in his pocket and all his expenses is paid for putting this... uh, monument on the wall of the PCAC starting from its anniversary. If you want to donate to that, you can do so. Our cash app is abolitionist with a capital A, center, or rather the short for center, CTR with a capital C. So abolitionist, CTR, capital C, and capital A. Um, That's one thing. I've also been working with Sister Tina Wyatt now for some weeks towards an event she's got coming up on the 24th on her YouTube page. It's going to be a live stream. Uh, pretty awesome mm-hmm. and historical thing about to happen. Both tribal and myself are, are part of that. And that happens next week. And uh, one other thing is, I think that covers it. I do want to give a shout out to my daughter, Alicia, who sent me the track from the Watch Prophets. Them niggas ain't playing. I was like, oh, that's perfect. We're going to start with that. Yeah. Like, Them niggas ain't playing. <laughs> We're really getting yeah, it done. Thank Alicia for that, man. Yeah. And then. <laughs> Buster Rhymes, man. I, you know, I love some Buster Rhymes. I have been looking diligently for something that we could play here at Abolition today that is relevant. And I was kind of bemoaning the fact that he didn't have it. And then I ran across this. I was like, okay, Buster, I got you now. <laughs> so that was yeah. Moo Fresh was, really killed it in her verse, man. Did she though? And it was generational. It was generational because you had these elders of hip hop together with the young people. You know what I mean? Coming out getting their voices right. and talking about the issues that we've been dealing with since the Watts Prophets was talking about them niggas ain't playing. <laughs> right. You know? Right. You know, so, yeah. I want to, uh, yeah, I want to apologize in advance. I'm, I'm fasting today and, you know, Ramadan Mubarak to all the, you know, brothers and sisters that are out there fasting with, uh, coming up on completing the first week. So my throat is a little dry at times, so you may hear me coughing or whatever. So for about the next half hour, you know, before I can start drinking some water again. But I'll, you know, try to mute myself if that happens. And so uh, I also want to you say know, my that week- Abolition Today is a PG-13 program. So, uh, you know, <laughs> we don't censor the art or the artists. 
but we also uh-huh. expect to get a respect to Mike too. Right. Right. I'm glad you pointed that out. That's very important to know because, yeah, we're PG-13, but we don't censor anybody here at all. You know, so that's what it is. What the artist says is what the artist says. Yeah, so, it's uh, program. Yeah, this, this, this week for me was, uh, you know, everything is more centered around – you know, uh, Columbia University and the things that are going on over there. And thankfully, the semester is coming to an end, and it'll be able to free up my time to do more things, ex- explore more avenues, you know. So stay tuned for some big announcements coming up in the near future. That's all I'll say, Max. <laughs> all right. All right. I hear that, brother. Um, well, let's go ahead and bring in our guest for tonight. Uh, he's an old, old friend of mine. We go way back to when Dirt was first created. You know what I mean? Like when the state was sleeping <laughs> up on Eve. Brother was standing in the background with me like, you know, you see that shit back? I'm like, yeah, that's messed up, ain't it? Christopher, this is the brother that claims all the syllables in his name. He ain't trying to have nothing else, you know what I mean? And earned every syllable. I, I literally saw him walk down a building reciting poetry, social justice poetry, like Spider-Man. Like literally did the damn thing to a big crowd mm. in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, he's organized some of the biggest venues and tours that have come through that state. The Word Warriors tour worked uh, out mm-hmm. of the Black Rep. At one point, they had an event that generated about 70,000 people coming through. It was pretty amazing. So this, this brother's like the king of Rhode Island, you know what I mean? And uh, it was, it's been a beauty, uh, beautiful feeling and an honor to kind of grow up with him both coming from Jersey as well. He's out of North New Jersey originally. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, he is a playwright as well, and just recently uh, had one of his plays uh, be live streamed, videotaped, as well as a live performance, right, Chris? But I could yeah, talk about this brother yeah, all day yeah. long, Christopher. I could talk about him all day long. Instead, let me bring him in. Ladies and gentlemen, Christopher the Incredible Johnson. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you, thank you, hello. Welcome, brother. Welcome, welcome. Yep, thank you, uh, brother Yusuf, for coming, uh, for having me on your show. Uh, Max, me and Max, like I, I don't even want to talk about what me and Max. We we do go back. We used to we were chatting on Just Poetry Jam uh, web web boards, you know, uh, and just exchanging poetry, and it was like, yo. This brother's hot, yo. That brother's hot, yo. And then we just, you know, we we just got together and stayed together and stuck together the whole time. In fact, two two facts, two real big facts. One, Max Parsons is uh, one of the two people who named me the Incredible. So that so I I didn't I didn't just I didn't just wake up one day and said I'm the Incredible. No, it was uh, Max and Rudy. Um, uh, when I was uh, put do, back when I used to do uh, what was it a uh, sound session. And um, yes. we brought the World Warriors tour in with uh, uh, Georgia Me. Um, oh my God! Tommy Bottoms, the, the double, the double, yeah, Tommy Bottoms. <laughs> you know, uh, we we brought in we brought in like eight freaking people, and, and the city was just like, "How did you do that?" And I was like, "Because I did." You know, it's like we, we, we were lacking. We were we were when I when I first moved to Providence, people were telling me, "Oh, this is in a, this is in a place of black people." Uh, black people can't get the money to do the things they need to do. Black poets, 
you know, don't uh, do well. And I was like, well, if, if black poets don't do well, that means I need to do my own thing. And and I did. And uh, Max was like one of the first people that I brought through, uh, Max and Tribal and, and the Word Warriors tour. And we had a blast. Mm. Right? Dude, right, Max? It, it was amazing, wow. man. I, to this day, one of the highlights for me was watching the mayor get run out of the venue by Tommy Bottoms' poem. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Not for yeah, the Tom, reasons Tommy, that you might expect. <laughs> Tommy spoke directly to the mayor, and he was just like, okay, I'm uncomfortable now. <laughs> you know, yeah, you, got this, you got this white guy, you know, this white guy in, in, in the black poetry venue. Hey, what, what did you expect, man? What did you expect? You're a white mayor, and and, and you, you coming to hear what we you coming to hear what we got to say? This is what we got to say, you know. Yeah. And by the way, no, that that's just a Momo. Uh, she mm-hmm. was she was on fire in that verse. Right. Mm-hmm. She was on fire in that verse. Now the second thing that I wanna I, I wanna say about Max Fletcher and how far we go back and why this is my brother. Um, back when I was in the. Uh, uh, I forgot the name of the freaking contest. It was a poetry contest for ten thousand dollars. Max got on. Max was my Max was my biggest supporter. He got on. He must have got like seven thousand, eight thousand people, maybe ten thousand people to vote for me through his network. From from uh, where were you at back then? Columbia, South Carolina. Yes, Columbia, South Carolina. Yep. From from Columbia, South Carolina, all the way up to New York, all the way over to California, all the way down to Florida. He got so many people to vote for me. He helped me win that ten grand. Same and, and, cast. And so, same cast, yeah, same cast. I was, I was a phenom because that's what you used to call me back then, the same cast phenom. So, so that's that's the the level of love that you know you can't you can't duplicate that kind of love for for, for brotherhood and things of that nature. So I don't want to talk about that. I want to I want to jump right in and get on this generational trauma because I know you do, so man. Much. The topic was so almost much. made for you specifically, you know. <laughs> Because <laughs> yeah, you are very much like an expert on this. Is what you write about? Is what you talk about uh, issues uh, regarding generational trauma? So let's go ahead and start out. Uh, give us some of your thoughts, and then after that, I want to play a clip. It's only a few minutes long about uh, the academic version of generational trauma, uh, which and, and, you and already use in all of it. I want to touch on that too. I want and to then, touch on that too. Then you're going to do some poetry for us. So I ain't going to let you get away without no poetry. But let's go ahead and start I'm, with I'm your thoughts. Poetry. Generational trauma, brother. Well, the first thing we have to do is we have to decolonize our minds um, when it comes to the, um, generational trauma. We, a lot of the things that we have done is we just took, like, this black thought that we have, and then we, uh, we, we put it on top of we trans, trans what they call that when you take an overlay and you put it on top of a map. We just took the, 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 the Western freaking thought, and then we took out the black thought, and we just put the black thought on top of the Western thought, and then we continued carrying on our generational traumas. And I'm talking about um, education. Why is it such a why, – why are we promoting, you know, when, when a brother get out of prison, we give him a party. When a brother graduates freaking college, you know, it's like, oh, you home. Okay, uh, wash dishes, take out the trash. Good to see you again, brother. Let's get back on this block. Why, why do we do that, you know? Um, why do we uh, uh, keep going down the generations with uh, all kinds of abuses, psychological abuse, sexual abuse, um, just a, a abuse in general? And I, I was talking uh, with the sister, and we were talking about Black Rob and how, um, you know, he died and, um, you know, there was drug use and all kinds of things. 
And I was trying to explain to her. She was like, you can't coddle, you can't coddle black men anymore. Black men have to take responsibility for themselves. And I was like, we do, but you also have to look at the extenuating circumstances that comes in black men's lives. I just recently went through some shadow work um, with myself and my mom. And I'm still going through that shadow work with myself and my mom. Um, and because uh, we, we were talking about uh, me and this other brother, me and a bunch of brothers, uh, we get together online, uh, you know, and we just started up a chat. And every now and then, and we talk about this, you, you know, you ever heard of Buck Busters? Yes. Okay. So Buck Busters were created, uh, you know, to keep us in line and keep us in check by society. Now, right. the, the, flip side of, the flip side of that is um, the mothers uh, of the black sons um, would, would, would bust their sons up before the slave masters could. And that, and that has become um, a, 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 a hand-me-down psychology, you know, of, of how, you know, the relationship between the black man and the black woman is. And I was raised to believe that the black family unit is the strongest unit, you know, in all systems, whether it be capitalism, whether it be um, institutional racism, whatever the system is, as long as you can keep the black family, that black unit together, um, then, then you, you, you're winning. You're winning. And we, mm-hmm. we, we got to the point to where we can't even get with our sisters because they don't even know that a lot of the um, ideas that they hold um, has been passed down through generations, and it comes from buck busting. I was listening to a, a woman, well, I'm just going to say it. I was listening to my mom talk to my cousins the other day, and she was just like, shut up, shut up, blah, 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 like, like just straight, you know, stopping them from having a voice. And, and I was, you know, and I was like, yo, this is literally how a lot of us are raised when we come with these single parents, when we come from these single parent households. And, and, uh, and mm-hmm. you have to think about it. You have to think about it. This was passed down through generations. My mom didn't just decide that she was going to talk to black men this way. She didn't. I mean, my mom is the matriarch of my family right now. She's the, um, the oldest living woman in my family right now. But, but she had to get it from somewhere. And, and they had to get it from somewhere. And so if we look at the, the concept of buck busting, um, and how, you know, we were taken down to keep us safe. You know, let's, I'm just going to say it like that. We were taken down a peg or two, a notch. We were taken down a few notches to keep us safe so that the slave masters wouldn't, so that we wouldn't buck up against the slave masters. Our moms uh, broke us before they could. And this is something that uh-huh. has been passed down, passed down from generations to generations. And this is why, you know, when, we, when I get, had this conversation with the sister about Black Rob, and, and she was just like, he could have stopped selling drugs. He never stopped selling drugs, even though he had a record there. He could have stopped doing drugs because he had money. I was like, yo, so, you know, we, as, as black men, if you know about redlining, um, if you know about generational wealth, and you realize how, because we weren't able to acquire generational wealth, and we were redlined and put into these situations, it's animal farm. We preyed on each other. And so, and then, you, you know, we have, you know, this idea of what a man is supposed to be. And, if, and, and the women talking to us and, and being as hard as they are with us, um, and, and, and we, we can never get that together. That's why I feel like, like single parenthood is a generational curse. You know, um, that's why I feel like uh, not having the black family and the black unit is a generational curse. You know, and all of us are not exodus. I love you- Max and Tribal's relationship. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love Max and Tribal's relationship. I love that they can travel together. But, yo, I have hosted Max and Tribal in my house. Mm-hmm. And if they, have a, if they have a problem, you don't know about it. Mm-hmm. You don't know too. about it. 
And I and I if you don't hear trouble coming out of her face, you know, um, trying to coddle Max or, or, or anything like that. You know, it's like you just see the love. And I think that and I think that, you know, they probably Max and Tribal probably broke generational curses, you know, just by sticking together. We knew that when we chose to stay together. Because it is a choice, a commitment. You make a commitment and you stick to it, period. And the conversation. If you can't stick you know, to it, you don't make it. There it is. You you make that decision, you make that promise, and you stay with it. And so then, you know, I don't I, I don't I want to back off that for a minute because, you know, what I just everything I just dropped is pretty heavy, and I know some of the listeners are probably like, you know, you probably got some women like fuck that, fuck that. These niggas need to get harder. You know, <laughs> you know. And at the same time, there's probably people there's probably people out there that are actually listening and paying attention and like, yup. Yep, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm guilty of that myself. Where did I, where did this come from? So I'm gonna back away from that real quick because the the next thing that I want to talk about is, you know, my boy Almani, who's um, he's a principal of a, a school in, in New Jersey, um, and there's a new app the, that everybody goes to and they're and they're talking. I can't, they, I, I was on that app for a little bit, but then I got off because it just got, it just it just got crazy. But education, you know, why are we not? teaching our kids to be PhDs and doctors, not doctors like, you know, medical doctors, doctors in black history, doctors in English. You know, why, why, are, we, why are we not putting these ideas in our kids' heads? And it's because, you know, for generations, we were taught that all we can do is work with our hands. It would be better for us to get a job. It would be better. You know, I was, literally, I was literally told as a kid that in order to be a man, you have to have a job, your own house, and pay your bills, and a car. And that was manhood. That was manhood. You know, not raise your kids right. Not stick, not stick with your family. Not, not, not commit to, you know, bettering yourself through education so that you can, you know, go out and educate more black people. That's not what I was taught manhood was. I was taught manhood with these, with these uh, physical you know, um, uh, things, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Capitalism, to be a part of the capitalist system. I was taught you have to have a car to be a man. You have to have an apartment, mm-hmm. a house to be a man. Not even a house, an apartment. Because we should be teaching right. our kids about, we should be teaching our kids about land ownership. And I feel like, I feel like that is something that's been passed down. You know, but that, that, we, that we just got to look like we're successful. As long as we look successful, then, then, we, then we're good. You know, you, and, and, and yeah. you got two daughters, oh, right? You got two daughters, yeah. beautiful girls, and I watched one of them grow up from being a baby pretty much. Uh, but yeah, you watch Sasha grow up. You watch Sasha grow up. Did you ever have to sit them down and have the talk with them, even though they were girls? The talk? You mean the Yeah, talk? the talk regarding police. Yeah. In America and um, black people. Actually, I didn't, but I didn't have to, Max. You see my life. You know, literally, her classroom, what was that book? There, there was a book that came out that uh, everybody had to read, and, um, and, and, and they, her class, the, the, father was like black, the father was a black cancer. I can't remember the name of the book. Her whole class literally was like, yo, that's your dad. I read this book, and that's your dad. You know, so, so it's like, um, after where I did have to have the talk, um, my thing is, my thing with Asha, I, this is what I tell Asha. This is what I tell Asha. I don't want you to 
pick up the fight. If something happens to me, I do not want you to pick up the fight. Take all the money I have and leave this freaking country. That's what I told Asha. Saray, on the other hand, yes, I had to have to talk with Saray. Saray, I definitely had to have to talk with, you know, because because Saray, you know, she came with the relationship. I raised her like my own child since she was four. She is my daughter. I bought every pair of sneakers from age four to, like, age freaking 16. Those sneakers came from me. That food came from me. The, you know, all of that came like from me. Like, literally, you yes. managed the garden yes. in front of the house. <laughs> Yes, I literally grew the food for the for the house. Like I said, right. I grew like 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 the, yo. This this is what I'm talking about. Why are we not growing our own food? Why are we becoming a part of the system? Why you know? And and I think that you know this is something that probably happened around you know uh, the GI Bill, 1940s, because we weren't able to you know like when black people came out of slavery in um, the 1860s or whatever. The first thing that we did was go into farming because that's all we knew. When we when the industrial age hit and, and we did things like go to war for this freaking country and we came back and we expected to be treated like white people, we expected to, you know, be able to buy land and go to college and they stopped us from doing all and they stopped us from doing all of that, then you know, we we totally switched and went right into industry, went right into working, went right into getting jobs, and then just became a part of the system. And that's been something that's been passed down. When when I came back from Texas and I was going to start a magazine. I was living in Jersey. I was 24. I, you know, vibe was out, source was out, and I and I still didn't feel totally represented. I was I was a kid that grew up riding skateboards. I was a kid that you know, even though I was hip hop, you know, I am hip hop. Even though I am hip hop, I still did other um, alternative things that were outside of the scope. Like you know, um, skateboards was a thing. Um, uh, designing clothes was a thing because. You know, I, I really didn't like wearing every – I would buy cross colors and then take, take the sleeves off one shirt and put it on another shirt, you know, because I just wanted to be different, you know. And, and so we, we got away from these things um, and, and just became more a part of the system, more a part of capitalism. And I, and I feel like that was, again, generational. Um, but, but, you, but that's not the deep part about generational curses. The deep part – well, we're not like, talking about curses. We're talking about generational trauma. Just, I don't know how big the difference is between the trauma and the curses because the curse was my mom t- teaching me to, not be, to be silent and to not talk. Um, the, the, the trauma was me being silent and feeling less worth, self-worth. I guess if you were to think about it, the difference would be who is the person that the weight is on. The generational curse is on the people who are allegedly cursed. Generational trauma is on the people who are perpetuating the trauma. So the answer to both of them, though, is choosing to decolonize your thinking and get out of of that realm of, of, of thinking. You know, because like, because I could have, I could have raised my daughter the way my mom raised me, but I, but I totally wanted something different for her. You know, Max, you're gonna be proud of this. I can have three businesses. You have what? I like three businesses. She's graduating high school, and she already has three businesses. See? She, yes, you, you are uh, making sure she's better off than you were. 
uh, which we all should do, and she is excelling and, and, and exceeding. And you and you but, saw how I raised her. I brought her to every show. But, I brought her to every meeting. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you saw how I raised her. You, the meetings with Lawrence and Indigo and all of them. She came to those. She sat in but, the room. She heard. She heard. You know, we need to we need to raise funds for this. We need a product to put in people's hands so that they're just not walking away. She heard all of those conversations, and now look at it. Yes, she did, up close and personal. She got to know these revolutionaries, (laughs) you know? Broke the curse, no trauma. Broke the curse, broke the trauma. But that trauma still exists for a lot of people. For instance, just recently we've had the killings of a 13-year-old boy. Uh, There's another killing that's happened out in Minneapolis where allegedly she thought it was a taser, the policeman woman, who was actually a teacher. Uh, Yeah, right. right. Uh, And this is all while we're having the George Floyd trial is going on simultaneously in a state that has an exception to slavery in their state constitution with legislation to remove it as we speak right now. In in the state where slavery is literally legal, that's happening. Let's be honest. Let's be honest, Max. Thirteenth Amendment. Slavery is still legal all throughout the country. And you know, I did my two years in the penitentiary. Slavery is legal. I, I remember picking. We picked everything but cotton. We picked okra. We picked broccoli. We we picked we picked peas. We were out there in in, in white freaking suits and, and flop hats. It felt like slavery. The freaking, the freaking, um, the, the, the guards were riding horses and carrying shotguns. It felt like, it literally felt like slavery. Yes, it you know? is slavery. So, <laughs> it should feel like it, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, so, so, slavery, so slavery is legal throughout the whole country. It's just that, that you know, uh, that particular state has it in their state constitution, but federally, slavery is still legal. And where you're at right now, was literally, until recently, 2018 to be specific, the only state in the union that abolished slavery without a caveat. No caveat at all in Rhode Island. And y- y'all never exploited that, though, because I don't even realize you understood your position as a state, not as a person, as a state. Understood that position well, and how you could challenge all of these slave-like conditions and badges and incidents of slavery because you had no exception to slavery. Well, up until up until last year, we were, you know, even though you, you, you say all of that good stuff, you say all of that good stuff, up until last year, we were known as Rhode Island, Rhode Island and Providence Plantations. Yes, we have to get that vote through. Yes, yes, and thank you, and thank you for being a part of that. You don't even live here and you was a part of that. <laughs> Yo, doing what we can. This, this, is, that, this, is, that bond, this is that bond of brotherhood, bro. You know I'm your brother for life. <laughs> Word. Hey, listen, I'll tell you what, we, we, what I, I'd like to do. Let's play a clip about uh, generational trauma uh, from an academic as well as somebody who is up close and personal about it. So uh, we can leave the people understanding a little bit more than maybe when they came in. When we come back on the other side, it's only going to be like three minutes. Let's get a poem out of you, Chris. Divert Johnson. All right, we'll get, we'll get a poem out of me. <laughs> All right, get ball ball All right, you're listening to Abolition Today with Yusuf Hassan, Max Parkers, and our special guest today, Christopher the Incredible Johnson, a poet laureate nominee for Rhode Island, among many other things. We'll be right back. I'm I'm actually the, the, the city of Providence poet laureate. You're the who, what, where? I am the the city of Providence. I am the city's poet laureate. <laughs> 
of Providence. You are the city's poet. Mm-hmm. Not the we state, got friends. Not the state, the city. The city. We we got friends in high places. See that? We'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> The history of racism, passed down through generations of stories, or even what we've learned in the classroom, can be very devastating when combined with personal experiences, including daily microaggressions and racially insensitive acts and comments used against our people. As a result of historical trauma, we may begin to internalize the views of the oppressor and perpetuate a cycle of self-hatred that manifests itself in negative behaviors. Anger, hatred, and aggression are self-inflicted as well as inflicted on the members of our own communities. Our people have been exposed to generations of discrimination, racism, race-based segregation, and resulting poverty. Poverty in our community is frequently intergenerational. Poor individuals and families are not evenly distributed across communities or throughout the country. They tend to live near one another, clustering in certain neighborhoods and regions. This concentration of poverty results in higher crime rates, underperforming public schools, poor housing and health conditions, as well as limited access to private services and job opportunities. The lack of access to services increased exposure to violence and higher risk of victimization that exists in our communities often results in a much greater potential for experiencing trauma and re-traumatization than in communities that are not areas of concentrated poverty. Stress plays such a strong role on the black community that it creates an irrational distortion of reality or fear. We have faced slave labor, forced migration, dehumanization, mass incarceration, discrimination, race riots, police brutality, racial profiling, lynching, mass murders, and long-lasting psychological effects, i.e. PTSD on survivors, descendants, and witnesses. Blacks are dehumanized daily. Media outlets constantly play videos of gruesome deaths, which we don't see done to any other race. It can be mentally and emotionally traumatizing. Healing requires recognition. We cannot heal generations of trauma without fully understanding the effects and realizing the healing that needs to take place internally. We have work to do, individually and as a community. Your perspective can either be your power or your prison. How will we work together to fix the trauma that we have faced for generations so that it doesn't impact the generations to come after us. All of that. You just heard Intergenerational Trauma by Rochelle Higgins of the Howard Rye Institute. Uh, That will be available on our page, Abolition Today, on Facebook, so you can share it around. Uh, There was a couple things that she said that stood out for me. Uh, I'm going to pass the mic to you. Let me mm-hmm. just make these couple comments. Uh, when she said it causes an ir- irrational distortion of reality, you know, it depends on what you're talking about. Because what we, some of us see as irrational have been proven to be facts of life <laughs> over time. And then also she was aiming towards healing, talking about healing. And I don't personally think that's even possible until the crime ends. Like, how can you heal from slavery while you're subject <laughs> to slavery? What therapist can help somebody on a plantation 
bound and owned as property? What kind of therapy do you need for that? So with that being said, I'm going to pass the mic to Brother Christopher Johnson, the incredible one. I just want to say when she was talking about poverty, and this is something I've been working with, poverty is a huge trigger for me. Um, It's a huge trigger because I lived through poverty, still living through poverty. I still don't have money. Um, Things are good, but they're not, you know, still living Mm -hmm. through poverty. It's, It's so bad that, like, just little common things, like if I walk into the bathroom and, like, we're hanging freaking clothes up in the bathroom to dry, I get triggered. I'd be like, yo, why don't you just wash and dry the clothes with the laundromat? You know, I get, I, I get triggered. So so it, it reminds me of back when we were, like, you know, poor and eating chicken and rice for, for like, three weeks straight, you know? My mom, was a, you know my mom was a magician. We did have chicken. My mom was a magician with the chicken and rice. We never had the same meal, you know, every day, like back to back, but it was always chicken and rice. She was a freaking magician, you know, a magician. And I don't, and, and now as an adult, I choose to live a little bit differently, but it's because I get triggered from that poor living in poverty. Right, it's the and trauma of it because Christopher Johnson, by this time, your family who helped build this country this trillion-dollar-a-year country should not be financially unstable, should not be without land. Like, how many generations do you need before we own something, <laughs> you know? Well, the, the problem what's, what's, is no, – no, go ahead, brother. You say. Well, I was going to just mention what Max just stated a couple of minutes ago when you start talking about uh, generational trauma and the – main source of the trauma still exists. So there can be no healing as long as slavery exists. And we look at, you know, the 13th, the passing of the 13th Amendment in 1865. And so we went from chattel slavery straight into convict leasing, straight into Jim Crow laws, straight into uh, the war on drugs, straight into uh, private prison industries and everything. And we've always had this price on our head. When we would chattel slavery, they had the patty rollers and the slave catchers coming after us. And these people, their next iteration was to become police officers. And they're still chasing us around with prices nice on our head. Exactly. So this we're constantly going through this same thing generation after generation after generation after generation. Yes, some of our conditions are bettering as people are becoming more educated and starting their own businesses and everything, but it's still not the norm for our community. And so part of the problem is having that constant trauma, you know, when Max earlier about having the talk you know, with your daughters and as black families all over the country constantly having to have the talk. When white children encounter police officers, it's generally a pleasant experience, even when they're doing wrong. You know, they could be doing the same thing, smoking weed or drinking beer, you know, hanging out or whatever, playing hooky, whatever they're doing. You know, it still turns out to be a pleasant experience when our experience is, it can lead to your death, and we can run down a whole litany of things 
of general basic things every single day that led to a black person's death when they encountered a police officer. So, yes, that's the generational trauma right there, and it all ties into slavery. That's why I say we have to decolonize our thoughts. That's, that's, that's exactly why I say that. Because mm-hmm. it, 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 it just keeps passing down and we don't change. You know, we, we want the Huxtable life, you know, but we can't get to the Huxtable life, you know, when you, when you grow up in Newark and, you, you, you know, you're one, of, you're one of 13 people who has a shot at MIT and, and, and you don't get that shot, then what? You're selling freaking drugs. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you're, working at the, you're working at the docks. You know, you're, you're, you're doing all of this. Chris, this is the part where you, Christopher, this is the part where you're supposed to say, I got a poem about it. One hit, hit, go. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. this spoken word artist is supposed to come out of you now and say, you know what, let me break it down. Right, you, you, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. This is what I'm going to do. Um, in, in 2018, when I won uh, the, uh, the, the fellowship for Rhode Island State Council of the Arts, um, I wrote a play about um, incarceration and mass incarceration. Um, this is this is one this is a this is this is what came out of me working with uh, Everett Dansky and uh, Max was a part of that as well. Um, and so I'm going to do this poem because what I what I like to do is I like to retire poems. And this poem cannot be retired. This poem cannot be retired. And this poem was a part of that play. And um, yeah. This, this whole this whole weekend this whole weekend shit me. It started off with uh, the the soldier being tased, and it ended with mm-hmm. the twelve year old the twelve year old um, child being murdered. You know, and mm-hmm. in between that in between that my play was done, and it's like I didn't even get a, a chance to I didn't even get a chance to to celebrate my play before I was traumatized again. So, if faith is not on Facebook, it didn't happen. Even though I'm not seeing it, I'm pretty sure it's happening. We keep saying never again until the next hashtag digitally memorializes the next black name slain by blue bullets. And I can't watch another video. We shouldn't have to hashtag another father, hashtag daughter, hashtag loved one. And they don't get it. They say shit like, well, what was he doing for the police to shoot him? Hashtag Amadou Diallo. Why was she so mouthy? Hashtag Sandra Bland. Black on black crime starts so young. Hashtag Tamir Rice. Just cooperate with the police and you won't have a problem. Hashtag Tanisha Anderson. Hashtag Marion Carey. It used to be every 28 hours, but now they can't even wait a full day. And I shouldn't have to wait to another snuff flick on social media to prove it's happening. Hashtag Delron Small. Hashtag Alton Shelton. Hashtag Philandro Castile. There is nothing we can do to change being born with black skin in America. Hashtag Trayvon Martin. Our terrorists don't pray to a foreign god five times a day. Hashtag Omar Edwards. Hashtag Howard Morgan. We don't see something, say something every time someone speaks Arabic at an airport. Hashtag white terrorists kill more than Muslim terrorists in the U.S. Our terrorists? Don't believe 40, 40 virgins wait for them in heaven every, for every black life taken. Hashtag cops kill more than both. Never again. To us, it's like Amazing Grace, a song written by a slave trader. We try to find solace in reclaiming its meaning for ourselves. But it has as much usefulness, <coughs> excuse me, 
but it has as much usefulness as Nazi forgiveness during Jewish Holocaust. The holy cost of equality is so sacred, like forgiveness is only given to brothers, fathers, and sons who serve and protect blue lives, white covenant. But I have a daughter. Aren't I a father too? Am I not made Dorothy's son, Michelle and Nicole's brother? Do I not deserve equality like forgiveness for living while black in a country where it's almost illegal for me to breathe? When a baby is choking, they tell that baby, put your hands up over your head to open the airways so the baby can breathe. I wonder if hashtag Eric Gardner's mom said, just put your hands up, baby, and breathe before he breathes his last. It's like they're trained to kill us. Please don't shoot me, hashtag Daniel Shaver. Any attempt to defend ourselves is an act of war. I'm not resisting, hashtag Freddie Gray. It's on Facebook. It's on Twitter. It's all over YouTube. It's real. You can Google it. I want to call this porn snufflix. They have to be jerking off to this. They must have a running bet. Who can have the best amateur video taken? Winner gets. GoFundMe's and their retirement and defense funds raising in uh, hundreds of thousands of rewards. After the shooting of seven Dallas police officers, ex-representative Joe Walsh declared war on President Obama and the Black Lives Matter movement. Dear ex-congressman, there were no hashtags before those police officers' names. No makeshift memorials where those officers were slain. No digital media press play icons for us to view over and over and over, desensitizing Americans to gun violence against police like it is for gun violence perpetrated by police killing unarmed Americans. If it is not a war, then I guess the constant and continual murder of people of color is a holocaust. Redlining practices chunked out African-American concentration camps, and instead of sewing stars on lapels, we just simply had to be born. No gas showers or brick oven human roasting rooms, just brass encased hot lead handcuffed baths and asphalt and concrete blood pools. Hashtag Michael Brown. Hashtag Oscar Grant. It's no wonder state police uniforms look more like SS than US. I mean, they look more Nazi than us. Dear America, if I am pro something, I am not against something else. I shouldn't have to choose between the police and the people the police are sworn to protect. And this is not a black problem. This is an American problem. And I don't want a hashtag in front of my name just because of my skin color. And don't tell me all lives matter, because if all lives mattered, then black lives matter would not exist. So that's the poem. Bird, uh, I Christopher, I the incredible... Johnson. Let me give you a quick round of applause, brother. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Yes, um, indeed. You, you had my mind flying through things just listening to all the hashtags. And then it also reminded me that generational trauma is not necessarily equal. It doesn't mean you're going to go through the same level of pain as those who became before you do, you might go through more or less. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> One example would be that we who are paying attention have collectively seen with our own eyes more of our own people murdered than our ancestors did combined because they didn't have video. If you saw somebody murdered and killed and brutalized, you saw it with your own two eyes and it was within vision. With video, we see it all over the country, if not all over the world. And how many thousands yeah. of names 
is in your head that you can't even touch right now. Uh, I, I go back. I go, I go back to Eleanor Bumper. You know, I, I go back to. I wow. go back to. Um, let me see who else was that? Eleanor Bumpers, and, and then and then after that, yo, know, it, it just the list. It just doesn't freaking stop. It, it's a long list, and, and you and know, my my first experience with uh, someone being killed actually was in a movie, but I was so young that you know. And I seeing the reaction of the people in the movie theater. It was uh, Cornbread Earl and me, you know, for oh those who are God. familiar with that classic. Mm-hmm. And I was six years old watching this movie in the movie theater, and I'm seeing everybody crying. So it felt so real to me, just seeing that situation. And I just never understood until years later why everybody was so, you know, uh, up in arms about that, and they walking out the movie theater talking about they killed cornbread and you know the talk of the seventies, you know during that time, you know, I remember so it was that. like yeah. going out to kill us some crackers and stuff like. So that 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 was like a really shocking event for me, and I can't remember the. Uh, I think it was Cooley High we watched as well. Oh, of course, you know, no, Coach right getting after. killed in the back. You know, so it's watching both of those movies back to back was just like. Yeah, I, I think about that to this day, thinking about that situation. So you, you know, I want to go ahead, Chris. Go ahead. Chris, I, I want to switch. I want to switch. I want to switch the gears a minute because we're kind of living in our time. But before I do that, let me just check with you. Uh, we usually ask our guests to stay on until eight o'clock when we go into our music break. Uh, but you're welcome to continue with us throughout the rest of the next hour of the program with news and views. Uh, it's, it's totally up to you. I don't know what you have uh, to do tonight, so I'll leave that up to you. But before we hit that hour, I want to do two things, man. I want to celebrate your victory first, and I want to give you the opportunity to let people know how to support Christopher the Incredible Johnson, where they can reach him, find your work, stuff like that. So first, let's start off with your victories, man. I got to see the video, which is pretty awesome uh, from my perspective. But I haven't seen the live play yet. So tell us what happened. Well, um, I wrote Invoice for Emotional Labor. It was kind of, Max, you, you follow me on Facebook. And it was kind of like, the, you know, I just got tired because, I, I, you know, we, we make up 5% of the city, black people, 5.8% of the city. And when the college is in session, we make up 8.9% of the city. Everybody else is white uh, or Latino. And then, and, and then the, half of the Latino people are white presenting and claiming to be, to, to be more white than they are black. And so, so I was arguing all the time with people about um, racism and what racism is. So I decided, you know, I, I was reading. I'm also a feminist. Just so that we could, I was just going to put, put that on the table. And at the time, we were on third-wave feminism. Now we're on fourth-wave feminism. But at the time, we were on third-wave feminism. And they came up with the term of emotional labor. And emotional labor is um, having to control your emotions to complete a job, you know, no matter what it is, you know, so that you don't run off on your superiors, coworkers, or customers. You, you know, the emotional labor is completing the task at hand, you know, while keeping your emotions and things in check. So I, that, that's what I had to do. And somebody was like, yo, you should just go ahead and write that play. And I was like, you know what? I should write a play called Invoice for Emotional Labor. So every time I'm explaining racism, people are paying me. And it, do, throughout the play, I put my, uh, my cash app, 
I put my 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 PayPal and I put my Venmo. The other night when when uh, they they aired the play, I literally made a little bank, made a little bank from from that. So it was a good victory to have to where people actually got it. I you know I say at the end of the play, if uh, and, it, and it's, it's specifically for white people because I don't want to re-traumatize black people. But I also drop nuggets of black culture in there so that black people that are watching it can actually get that laugh in. It's an inside joke. It's something that we have and they can't get. You know, like like when I when I say uh, in a black household, you know, uh, your parents tell you to sit down. You're supposed to hear everything. You're supposed to listen to everything, but you ain't hear nothing. You know, that's some black <laughs> shit, right? Yo, uh-huh. Am I wrong? Yo, Christopher, I'm looking at the picture right now from the website at the Wilbury Theater, right? And you got up there. Ableism translation service, a hundred bucks. Microaggressionism tolerance package, two hundred bucks. Personal racism walkthrough, three hundred. Emotional suppression, four hundred. Ego boosting with the deluxe package, five hundred. History lesson, time five, three thousand. And then finally, entitlement consultation, seven hundred. <laughs> A total of more than you can afford. Oh, that's pretty awesome, brother. Uh, that happened the yeah, 8th so, to the 10th, the live stream, right? Yeah, and it's going to be done live. We're doing a drive-in theater. They, they got a 40-foot screen. Um, they got a 40-foot screen, so they're going to show the movie as a drive-in theater movie uh, because it's an hour and 38 minutes long. They're going to show it as a drive-in theater um, May 20th, 21st, and 22nd at the Water Fire Art Center. And you know how hard I've been trying to fight, you know, get into the Water, water Fire map. Mm-hmm. It's not even hard to get into that, that, that money right there. And um and so now Waterfire is gonna be showing my, my video live on the twentieth, twenty first and twenty second as a drive in. And then we're doing it in the fall with me on stage. So I'm gonna be on stage. It's still gonna be a drive in, but they're gonna have six rows of people that can sit six feet apart and um and I'm gonna be performing it on stage with the videos actually being behind me live while I'm doing the actual performance of the play. This pretty soon you ain't going to have but one name to go by. It's going to be like Cher and the rest of them. That's you know, right. It, 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 the Incredible is actually one word. so <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know, The Incredible. So if people wanted to get at me, all you really had to do is Google T-H-E-N-C-R- E D I B U L L because I am uh, I am a Taurus, I am a bull, so it's the incredible, <laughs> you know, and um and, and all of my information, my website, um my Facebook, my fa- uh, my Facebook page has all of my um my my money stuff on there. Um I, I would prefer people to go to Patreon because I'm going to be releasing videos on Patreon, and I'm also going I also owe you a video now. I'm actually going to give you two videos. I'm going to put it on the Prismatic Dreams uh, Facebook page. Exclusives that nobody else is going to be able to see. You know? Um, and, um, so so these, are, these are ways in which people can reach me and get in, get in contact, you know, if they want to support the mission and what I'm doing. Um, this, you know, I, I, I honestly believe, like, the curses and the trauma, um, they roll together. You know, if, if there's a curse in your family, you're going to be traumatized by it. And, and who's going to break that freaking trauma? You know, don't pass that trauma on to your kids. Who's going to break that curse? You know, don't, don't, don't relive something that's been in our life for generations. And the first thing we have to do, again, decolonize our thinking. Stop thinking like capitalists and white folks. Even though 
Max, I know you, you, you have a thing about capitalism and capitalists. Um, and I, and, and to be honest, the, the invoice for emotional labor makes me a capitalist because I do want to get paid for my work. Um, but we have to, we literally have to like decolonize the way that we think. We have to like totally, you know, think about is this, is this something that comes from slavery and stop traumatizing the people that comes after us. Christopher, yeah, really appreciate that, brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, here tonight with us on Abolition Today, uh, talking about generational trauma, sharing spoken word poetry, and, and the successes and uh, efforts and traumas in his own life, uh, coming up here in mm-hmm. America, uh, going through the things that we had to go through. I really appreciate you being here, brother. I, I don't know if you want to hang out with us or not. I actually, I actually, I know we're, it's 8 o'clock on the dot right now. I actually have a 30-second poem that I want to share with everyone. Well, let's do it. It's only let's 30. do it. All right. Let's do it. What if Jesus came back, coming to America as a Syrian refugee? What if Jesus was sat behind a Trump-built wall and called terrorists? What if Jesus already came back but changed his name to Sandra Bland, Michael Brown, or McQuarrie McDonald? What if Jesus was spit upon and taunted for carrying the Black Lives Matter cross? And the crowd jeers crucify him for blocking up highways and marching the state capitals. And the crowd jeers crucify him because blue uniformed Pharisees said Jesus was a part of a plot to kill cops. When all Jesus wanted was for cops to stop systematically murdering people who look like Jesus. Murdered by people who call themselves Christians. What if Jesus keeps coming back and keeps getting crucified? What if God says, I so love the world, I sacrificed my son a thousand times? Jesus, no more. What if Jesus said, no more? All right, that's, that's the last one I gave you two. from the brother who wrote mm-hmm. a poem, forward and reverse. <laughs> right there. Uh, Christopher the Incredible mm. Johnson. Uh, all the links that we talked about, including his own personal links there, so you could uh, check out his work and support is on abolition today. Uh, we hope that you stay with us, Chris. We're gonna go, Chris, we're gonna go into our music break today, which is uh, we're gonna give some honor and remembrance to Brother Oz Arnold, Poet Jackson. <laughs> uh, Mums is everybody. Mums the schemer who recently passed Mums away. Mums the schemer. Mums the schemer, oh, and that's gonna be that was sad. kidnapped the president's wife, followed by Aaron Abernathy. Children of the city. Stay tuned. We got a lot more to come. We'll be right back. Abolition. Abolition. Kidnapped the president's wife without a plan. Kidnapped the president's wife without a plan. Yeah, I got a plan. It's etched with a knife in the center of my hand. So I guess I'ma have to keep my fists clenched. Walk around DC in the rain till my wares is drenched. Wait for that motherfucker to take out the garbage and do a press conference about what great shape this country in. And when them welfare cuts gonna begin. And when, when he pat his dog and kiss his wife goodbye, that's when I move in. I throw that silly hoe in the headlock. I'm up full of grills so a scream stop. I whisper to her, your man ain't here to protect you, baby. He gone. I dial up my nigga O North, tell him meet me with the caddy on the white lawn. I toss her in the back seat. I cover her head with a black sheet. Put the steel in a grill piece. Be like, if you don't shut up, I'm, I'm, I'm going to lick two shots off in your dome piece. Watch it have fits. If she don't understand, I'm going to give it a quick lesson in your bonics. I'm going to shoot you. Baby, I take her to my hideout in the low-income houses down the street. I replace her Joan and Davids with purple Reeboks on her feet. I give her four hungry kids, no job, no ambition, no family support, and a last welfare check. 
I give her crappy-ass Medicaid and an ill type of growth growing out the side of her neck. I tell her, fend for yourself. Keep you and them shorties in proper health. Then after sufficient time on that hype, I'll introduce her to the crack pipe. Yeah, I let her feel its soothing effects as she tries to forget about the absence of them checks. I make her sell her jewels for it. I make her, I make her pay her dues for it. And then I'll come to her late at night, and I'll be like, yo, everything ain't gonna be all right. You ain't gonna be able to go quietly in that good night. Peace ain't gonna come till your death be done. And then I'll lead her up to the roof, ha, and I'll show her all the shit she don't own. I'll lead her over to the edge and leave her there all alone. I mean, that's why when someone asks me about violence, I just, uh, I just find it incredible. It's because it, what it means is that the person who's asking that question is absolutely no idea what black people have gone through, what black people have experienced in this country since the time the first black person was kidnapped from the shores of Africa. With that foggy intuition, That white supremacy, that no equality, that store clerk in a store that follows me, along with police brutality. And we're fed up, and all lives matter, this is fed up. Since I got schools with dated books, produced crooks that played hooky, and now they have to get started goodies. Y'all know the system sells them, wouldn't excel them, they'd rather break them down in jail, sell them. And I, I know, long so try to find a way, for the law brings the judgment day. And these political crooks, they have received the dirty looks
soul trying to find a way For the Lord brings the judgment day And these political crooks and Pharisees with dirty looks and spray Now I hope we're all trying to find a way Shuffle all the cards that we've been dealt with play I hope the Lord hears my prayer today And remember the children of the city we have them included in Poetry Month this month. It was followed by uh, Aaron Abernathy with Children of the City. And you heard some quotes from Sister Nina Simone during his song. A uh, very powerful combination there. What you think, Chris? Yo, Is he still I with think, us? Uh, um, yeah, I'm still with you. I think I'm muted. Am I muted? No, you're here. I can hear you. Brother. No, we hear you. Yo, Mums, I, I got memories of Mums from Brooklyn Moon, but we won't go there. But yeah, man. Wow, that, Brooklyn that Moon. Me. Yeah, yo, yo, Brooklyn Moon was family. It was freaking family, and I got memories of moms coming in there and doing some things. But that second song, uh, that that's that's that soul. That's that's what I needed. That's what I needed. That's that medicine. Yes, you know, we provide it here every second, week, man. <laughs> that that, that medicine. medicine that here, that, yeah, that brother. And, and not saying that mom's wasn't medicine, mom's is medicine. But I just couldn't stop thinking about you gonna kidnap Michelle Obama, man. You really gonna kidnap Michelle Obama? <laughs> he was, you know, using a metaphor. I, I, I know. Yeah. When that happened, when that when that happened, it was Bush. It really so was yeah, about I generational trauma. That was the whole poem that he yeah. just recited. You know, if right. he got the chance he, to he, live he as a black woman. in that poem. Yep. And, and that was powerful. That's why I thought it fit perfectly. The because, problem. you know, from the topic that we had earlier when we were talking about single black mothers, you know, I mean, thankfully, God gave them some fortitude to be able to hold, the hold, you know, us down because, I mean, I'm the product of a single mother and many people are the products of single mothers and we we survived. We're still here, you know. No, even with all of the trauma that they went through, this president's wife is going through in the poem, where she's not even going to be able to identify with that because she doesn't come through. Not I didn't see that as Michelle Obama. I saw that as like a white president's wife, a white woman, you know, having to go through that, not having experienced that in the past. And so, yeah, you know, we see just from the pandemic, you know, where people within two to three months, because they can't get pedicures and haircuts and manicures and everything, they're considering it slavery and they're ready to get violent and everything. And here we've gone through these, these things of having people's foot literally on our neck for hundreds of years, and yet we still survive through it. No, bro, I want to clarify something real quick. I, I want everybody mm-hmm. to believe I'm a feminist. I'm a feminist for a reason. There is, you know, um, remember that? I don't know if you watch freaking 
uh, I don't know if you watch uh, uh, Falcon and, and uh, the Winter Soldier. I don't know if you watch that, but there's a scene where the new Captain America gets his ass whooped, and then he says, he says that he got his ass whooped by, um, by the Wakanda women, and he says, they weren't even super soldiers. I went straight to Facebook and was like, dude, they're black women. They are the original super soldiers. You know, like, I right. just want to put that out there. Right. You know, that, 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 that um, I, I have a love uh, and, and a thing. It's just, you know, we wouldn't be here. They held us down through the Black Panther Party, through slavery, through everything. And, and so, you know, even though there is that gener- generational trauma that I experienced, it's not like I don't love black women and I don't love my mom. I just recognize I got to change some shit within me and raise my kids and raise, and raise the next generation differently. That's all. I feel you. That's all. Um, they did everything they had to do to keep us here. They did everything they had to do to make us survive and to keep us alive. And that's the only reason we're here. The only reason we're here is because of black women. We wouldn't be some... here if it wasn't for black women. There's okay. some things uh, that men are experiencing to a very large degree right now. Uh, and it's just shameful. Like, 94% of the prison population are men. When they talk about 40% of the prison population being black people, they actually mean 38% of that is men. Uh, there are more black men incarcerated in the United States than there are women of all races combined across the entire world right now. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's almost like it's a, a thing that we seem to have to endure. That's why I asked you about the question regarding your daughter and did you give her the talk? Because the, the numbers is that one in three black males will end up in prison. One in freaking three. How do you explain that? And how is it okay? How is it not a part of anybody's conversation? <laughs> like, I don't understand that sometimes. I see the fight moving well, forward. We're, we're, we're criminalized, right. bro. We're criminalized. It's just that we're criminalized. We're criminalized. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're made to feel useless. We're not, we're, we're disposable. Apparently, we're not needed anywhere. Apparently, you know. And if we get lost in the system, whose fault is it? Yours. You should pull your pants up, cut your hair, stop cursing, stop smoking reefers. You shouldn't have been out there in the middle of the night. Oh Any my reefer. god! All of that. Mm. You know what I mean? All fault every damn time. That's the generation of trauma. Me you talked about vagrant laws, right? Didn't we talk about vagrant laws? Vagrancy laws, yes. That's the con yeah, that's the convict leasing beginning right there. Vacancy right. loss. So, there was a whole thing that happened in uh from uh Mississippi, Louisiana, it's Georgia to Texas, um, where they uh would uh they would just pick up black men. Just if you were walking, walking through a town, you were considered a vagrant and they would just pick you up and take you straight to prison and that's how you got lost on a chain gang. You know, you could be minding your own business, just walking from, say, say you got a, you know, you live in Alabama, but you got an auntie in New Orleans. You ain't got money, so you decide to walk. They will just pick you up and take you straight to prison. You know, yeah, um, especially in the sundown so, towns. Yeah, you just you didn't belong there. Hey, you black guy, the sun is down, and you are breaking the law just for being black. You know, uh, mm-hmm. we've been criminalized. It, it's like. Um, uh, the the perfect the perfect example is uh, 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 Birth of a Nation, and I'm not talking about the new Birth of a Nation that just came out. I'm talking about the original. No, the original. D.W. Griffiths. That, 
yeah, that was the nineteen nineteen eighteen nineteen nineteen, and it was it was shown on. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was shown on the, the whoever, uh, whatever President Wilson was uh, the president. So, oh, wait, wait a minute. I mm-hmm. Whenever Wilson, whenever Wilson was elected to rule, the, to run the country, because to be honest, um, that's the other thing. I don't consider none of the presidents. Um, the only president I have is freaking uh, is Obama. You know, I have my Obama, you have your Jesus, leave me to speak alone. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's all I'm saying. I have my Obama, you have your Jesus. Leave me alone. Uh, but anyway, um, President Wilson showed that movie on his lawn, on, on the lawn, on the White House lawn, and, and it made a statement, and you can Google this so that you can understand that I know what I'm talking about. He made a statement saying that that is the most accurate depiction of black people that he's ever seen in his life. And that, and that movie made us out to be rapists of white women. It was, like they showed us in Congress, uh, you know, in Congress with our shoes off, uh, with our shoes off, kicking our feet up on desks and eating chicken, and then and then and, and then the, when you think about um, was it uh, uh, Will Will Wilmington, North Carolina, and how we were voted in for that city, and we ran the city council, we ran the uh, we were the mayor, the city council, we ran everything, and the red shirts came mm-hmm. in and, mur- and murdered all of the the people that were in um, office and their families. Because they couldn't stand the fact that black people were in charge, we were criminalized, right. and it makes it easy for them to lock us up and forget about us because we're not even freaking human anymore. Well, the results of criminalization are uh, imprisonment, being caged, and along the way, we often get killed or brutalized, or worse. And even yep. prison itself is not the uh, the worst thing that can happen. Uh, slow deaths of life without parole, people sitting on death row who are innocent, one in 25 people on death row that we've killed already are innocent. And, you know, in certain states, almost everybody who's ever sat on death row were black people. In Florida, they never had anybody until a couple of years ago who was white and was put on death row for killing a black man. It never happened before. (laughs) You know, all the others were black men who killed whites or, or something other. So yeah. Well, it, we were it, accused. It, we were accused because a lot of a lot of us that that uh, went to prison for rape and murder of white people, we were innocent, just accused, innocent. and that's all. That's all. That's all it took was the accusation. But that's what the criminalization was right. meant to do. It was meant to take us from the streets and put us into the cages. Where now, today in 2021, uh, the average person is worth more behind bars than they are on the street. Uh, Khalif Browder, to put him in Rikers Island, was $353,000 per year for three years. But he wasn't worth what, 10 cents. What was the name? What Khalif was the name Browder. You said? Khalif, Khalif, Khalif Browder. Browder. Yes. I, that was, I was actually going to bring him up, but you did. So. <laughs> yeah, $350,000 a year, where his family was living in poverty. Uh, they weren't worth 350000 to the system for their entire lives, lifespans, probably. Which is shameful. Well, let's, you know? let, let's go into let's go into you know when I was working with Everett, and this is something that I learned and it shocked the fuck out of me when I learned it. We have black people in Minnesota. So what's the town? Milwaukee. Uh, what's the town um, that that uh, um, that they're about to, the James, the Michael Michael Brown is from and all of them in Milwaukee. What's that Ferguson. town? Milwaukee and Ferguson, like that, that whole area of America, is the same to me. 
because because Wisconsin, until we go maybe? up there, Wisconsin, Wisconsin, with yeah, that whole area from Michigan, um, Wisconsin, Illinois, that that little chunk of because it's the same because of their laws. They literally have laws where they can keep you in jail for freaking parking tickets. They can you they, you have to pay to be on probation as well as pay the bond, and you don't get your bond money back. And if you violate your freaking probation on the smallest of things like jaywalking, they just lock you up, and, and that's it. There's, there's no question. So it's all about money. You know, it's like uh, Ferguson. I, I can't remember what the, um, what the statistic was, but when I was working with Everett, it was something like, like 90% of the city is on paper with the, gov- with, with the, with the town, the township, in some kind of way, whether it was uh, probation, um, out on pro- out on um, parole, um, in jail, or uh, on, uh, out on bail. House something arrest. Like 90%, yeah. yeah. Something like 90% of the fucking city, um, which is well, mostly black, was, was, was on paper or some kind of way with the city township. And, that, and, and, and so... It's just incredible when you think about that. Like they're just like, a lot like of that, we're not human; we're cattle. That a lot of that comes from the misdemeanors, uh, the fines and fees. I was doing some research today and discovered that in 2016, for instance, New York City collected 1.9 billion in fines and fees. And then I was looking at the average, and they were saying that in New York, the average police officer issues about 300 thousand dollars worth of speeding tickets each year three hundred thousand per officer and if you don't pay these fines wow. and fees, guess where you end up mm-hmm. well it's, it's mandated your luck. And, and, and it's mandated and i remember about four years ago there was a group of officers who all got suspended and some of them got fired for refusing to do the search uh, what was that? Search and seize? Um, what was the search fucking law that got Stop committed? and frisk. Yeah. Stop and frisk. Yeah, you're talking about the New York they, officers. We played them on here before. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you know what I'm talking about. Great. Yeah, awesome. absolutely. They, 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 freaking, they freaking was like, no, we refuse to freaking do it. You know, and, and they were like, oh, well, then you don't really want this job, do you? You know? And, and, and that's when we talk about right. catching freedom. That's when we talk about black people working for the police officers, well, for the police unions and things of that nature, and they refuse to freaking um, violate our rights because they remember us. They got family like us. They got, they got community members like us that live around them and who they once were, and, and they refuse to do that. And it's like, so if you're not going to do the job of, of criminalizing black skin, then you're not really with us, and we don't need you. There's a and term called policing for profit, right? You heard of that, policing for profit? Yes. Right, policing yes. for profit. They also use other terms to describe it, like over-policing, hyper-policing, uh, things like that. It's really just slave-catching. Uh, again, I was yes. doing the research earlier today and was looking at some of these states where more than half of their revenue, I saw at least 13 states where more than half of their revenue came from fines and fees imposed on people. Now, that's not about crime and punishment at all. It's about extortion and stealing, right. and taking the Revenue. most from mm-hmm. the people who have the least and can't fight you back about it. And they couldn't exist without capitalism? Can we just say capitalism? Because that's when you end up in a cage, that's called slavery. 
Yeah, yeah and you can't I, really I, call I, it capitalism because it would be distributed equally across right. the board. It's it's yeah. race based. It's, it's class race based. based. Class based. It's a <laughs> literal crime against humanity. Capitalism I, is I not think, a crime against humanity. It's not listed I think it is. in the what you think don't matter. The fact is, it's not listed in the Declaration of Human Rights, but slavery is. So why would we take away the power of a crime against humanity and turn it into something else that's not even listed as a crime against humanity? I get this. Me and you have been having this argument about capitalism for 10 years now. Well, 15 because okay, I don't think we, I don't think we, I don't think, I don't think we got into it like that. But I honestly believe the whole purpose of capitalism is to exploit um, uh, human labor. Um, that's that's what capitalism is. It's exploiting human labor for for your own personal benefit. That's what I honestly believe. The, the we'll we'll see. We, we're not seeing cap. We're not saying capitalism isn't a problem, but it's only a symptom of a much larger problem, which right. is slavery. If you're saying that you're exploiting people's labor, well, slavery isn't just about labor. It does exploit labor, but it also warehouses bodies where the state literally owns you as property. They can work you or they can just put you on a shelf like they did Khalif Browder. And either way, it's going to generate a revenue for them. But you are property. Wait, wait. Oh, what you got? This is what I'm saying. The bigger umbrella here is white supremacy. That's the monster. And so capitalism serves white supremacy. And for capitalism to serve white supremacy, that means that, that we as black people are just freaking numbers. We're, 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 we're cattle. We're sheep. We're, we're everything, we're everything that, that, in order for white supremacy. That's why we're criminalized. We're criminalized right. So, Christopher, what's the, thing, what's the thing that makes all of that legal? White people. Slavery, right? The exception clause of the Thirteenth Amendment is what makes all of that legal. What is the diametrically opposed opposite of white supremacy? Black slavery. (laughs) But you can't have one without the other. And if you take that away, you don't have no supremacy anymore because you can't enslave us now. Uh, Everything that we do uh, is under threat of uh, imprisonment at the end of a barrel of a gun. And who oh, controls yeah, those guns and imprisonment? So, you know, if, if you really want to get rid of white supremacy, which is a misnomer, it's more like trite supremacy. If you really want to get rid of trite supremacy, you have to end slavery. You cannot have a fair, equal, hopeful, healing environment as long as slavery is legal, period. How is that even possible? You can't do it. And you can't ignore the fact that slavery is illegal. That's still legal. There can be no equality I, with that in place. I agree. You know, Max, we're right. running I, short I, on time, and I really want to oh. hear this poem or this presentation from Gennari, the authentic voice. Oh, of yeah. Christopher, you're going to love this, brother. This is one of the – these are the children who are coming up that people like you and me have influenced. Uh, I don't know if it's pronounced – I don't know if it's pronounced J. Gennari or just Gennari, but it's Gennari, the authentic voice of D.C. Our sister, uh, Jeanette Smith, found this poem and sent it to me. She didn't know who wrote it, so I did the research to find out who it was. 
found out it was a teen author out of D.C. And it's just so powerful. I think uh, everybody's really going to be moved by it. So let's listen to that. Like, Brother Yusuf has suggested, you're listening to Abolition Today with Yusuf Asana, Max Parthas, and our special guest today, Christopher the Incredible Johnson. We'll be right back. Abolition Today. When we were younger, they told us not to grow up too fast. But in the hood, we never had that chance. A lot of us ain't living to see 18, let alone 21. So we don't have a choice but to grow up fast. Like how life came at us, running through the hood, searching for answers, looking up to God, begging that he answers us. Like why my friends keep dying? Why these mothers keep crying? God, I'm trying really hard to hang on, but I can't find enough reasons to live anymore. You're taking all of mine. And if you need them more, just let me know. Please give me a reason so that I can let go. Cause I'm starting to lose hope and accept my fate that in a few months my mother might be putting me in my grave. Don't grow up too fast. I wish I didn't have to. But you don't get to be a child when you don't have enough friends to play with you on the playground because you have to watch so many of them go on the ground. Now you sitting on your end of the seesaw, knowing that your friends will forever be in the air. While you stuck on the ground, you try to push yourself up, but it's way too much pain holding you down. You don't get to be a child when there are more drugs in the hood than candy and you lighten up every day trying to control your anxiety. Anxiety? What the fuck is that? Don't you dare say that. You want to get smacked? You want these people to think you crazy? You want these people to think I don't take care of my baby? You don't get to be a child when you have seen more in your few years than most of seeing their entire lifetime. But you better not let anyone see you crying. Ain't shit wrong with you. I've been through way more than you. So I don't want to hear not another word from you. Okay, I'm sorry for being so weak. I just wanted to talk about all the things that have been haunting me in my sleep. You don't get to be a child where I'm from. You don't get to be a child when the city doesn't care enough to keep pedophiles away from black kids. So within just a half mile radius, there are 49 sex offenders on the list. And every day you have to walk past grown ass men that want to experience your body before you even know you have one. You walked a long way now. So many men complimented you in your Bobby girl dress that you can't even put it on now. You don't get to be a child when you carrying around a pocket knife mentally preparing yourself to take a life in order to save your own because every day you live in a fit that you won't make it home. You don't get to be a child when you can't wear your favorite color outside because a gang claimed it. And if they see you, you dead. Because the color of your clothes can get a bullet put in your head. The color of your skin can get a bullet put in your head. The block you were raised on can get a bullet put in your head. Those nice shoes you got on can get a bullet put in your head. The gender you fell in love with can get a bullet put in your head. DC ain't the same anymore. D.C., Death City, D.C., don't come because my city don't shine anymore. Too many sons are gone. My city ain't fun anymore. Too many guns are drawn. We ain't on the beach collecting shells. We on the block collecting shell casings. We ain't going to art school and painting. We out there cleaning our friends' blood off the pavement. Half of my friends went off to college and the other half went in caskets. It's crazy because we were all just in high school, going high to school. Because even though my friend died yesterday, I couldn't afford to be late. I had a test that day, so I showed up, even though my mind was torn up. In the hood, we ain't trying to grow up fast. We just trying to grow up. Abolition. 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 All right. <laughs> 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 wow. Wow. The young poets, brothers. Wow. Chris, the you know, this, this is what I love. This is what I love. Oh, my God. Yo, yo I had this theory. Just because you wrote it don't mean I have to hear it. But, but <laughs> yo, I had, to, I had to hear that. I had to hear that. Oh, that's just a, 
I can't wait to hear her, you know, when she gets on that platform. She, when she, oh, man. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, she's wow. She's yeah, the same anymore. What? I'm sorry. Mm. She's just got she was killing it. She's, Talking I love words. All our sons, we ain't trying to grow up. We ain't trying to grow yeah. up too fast. We just trying to grow up. Not to grow up. Oh, yo, yo, yo. I, I feel, I feel, I feel like, like, like she wasn't just talking about DC. She was talking about Chicago. And she was talking about North. She was talking about every North. ghetto, every city. It's a cry yeah. for help from our youth that they're dealing with this uh, genocide and slavery. They're dealing yeah. with this, <laughs> and would they need help? What's unfortunate? Yeah. What's unfortunate? Is those are adult words. Those are adult words coming from our mm-hmm. youth. Old souls. And that's, that's what they used to call you know, them. And that's what's unfortunate. Those were, those were adult words, man. Oh, she, man. When she was okay. talking about, they were worried about trying to see 18. That was me when I was coming up. I was 14. I didn't believe I'd be seeing 18. None of us, my friends around me did. And half of them are dead, just like she was talking about generational trauma same thing over and over again and we keep having to live through it not because of anything we're doing but because of the conditions we have to exist under under the same oppression and systemic racism that our forefathers dealt with I'm going to say this because I got into an argument with a brother the other night about um, Morgan Freeman and, uh, and Morgan <laughs> Freeman, if you stop talking about racism, it'll go away. <laughs> yeah, him, that guy, that guy, and um, and and he was just like, I don't think Morgan Freeman is doing half the half the half his bad and half the dirt that these drug dealers are doing in the city. And I'm like, yo, he is more of a problem. When you grow up in the D.C. or North, and you hear this motherfucker, and you hear him say that, it's almost as if. Oh well, if I just ignore the ghetto, if I just ignore the black people, if I just ignore, if I ignore eating, it will just go away. No, yo, no, man. It's, it's like it's like her words. He needs to hear her words. Right. He, he needs yes. to hear her words. She needs you know, to be heard far and wide. You can't you can't say stupid stuff like that when you hear the youth talking like that. We just can't. We reach about a dozen countries, so there's people all over the world who heard her today, and I hope I gave her a big push. We hope we gave I, her a big I, push. I, I have a question, because yeah. you got me here, because now that you got me here, you know how much I love words. Please tell me you got another youth poet. Please tell me you got somebody just as strong as her that you could play and, <laughs> and just keep, keep my I, head I do, like, in the space. I do, space. but I, I got I a schedule to go by, and, and there's a couple things that oh. I do got to get out. I got more poetry coming up at the end of the program, uh, tied in with uh, Bridging the Gap, which includes your poetry, as a matter of fact, on the audio. Uh, But there's a couple things I want to put out there, let people know about, and maybe get your uh, input on as well. One is the Democrats just introduced a bill to expand the Supreme Court to 13 members. First of all, the symbology. Second of all, this is a really good thing for us. I consider a win because with more leftists on the uh, Supreme Court, we've got a lot of cases that we're pushing towards the Supreme Court, and that will only help us. Um, just yesterday, I was in a meeting with Dennis Thibault, uh in a group 
that has formed called in the spirit of Mandela, and they're forming a uh, they're forming a a tribunal to indict the United States on charges of genocide and slavery. And these are OGs who've been at it for 30, 40 years and done all you could do in this system. They know what they're doing. A lot of them out of New York uh, putting together this uh, charge, this indictment. And it's really going to blow some things up. So we're going to push a lot of envelopes towards the Supreme Court, and I see that as a win for us. What do you guys think? Absolutely. Absolutely. I have no faith in the system. And until we burn it all down, you know, and I'm probably going to have black helicopters uh, flying around my house in a couple of minutes. Until we burn it all down and start over fresh, I have no faith in the system. No, when, you start, when you start making fires, let me know. I'll join you. <laughs> no, no, like like 20 years ago, before I had a kid, I damn sure would have, I would have, yeah, you know. In I'm the meantime, good, but I'm, I got these tools to work with. It's all I got at the moment, and this is what we got. This is what I, this is what yeah, I want to say. And, and one thing we've always seen you know, when it comes to, like, it's, it's things that I talk about with the guys that are, you know, in prison right now. You know, when it comes to them doing uprisings, so if you want to have physical confrontation with the system, they're prepared for that. Because they're, they have the guns, they have the tanks, they have the bombs. So they're prepared for that. What they're not prepared for is organization and using the law. Because when the law is being used, it's been yeah. effective. That, the opening, the opening to my play, the the, the in the, the what do they call it, the writers' notes, the writers, directors' notes. I, I wrote um, mm-hmm. about Audrey Lord. Audrey Lord said that the master's tools would not be used to destroy the master's house. And I feel that um, when America was asleep. When America thought that we were in post-racial America and they were all sleeping mm-hmm. and, comfort- and comfortable, the OGs, the OGs from North Carolina, um, from uh, um, uh, New Orleans, Texas, and, and, um, and New York, the OGs of, of this movement, they were busy retooling the master's tools. They were using the language right. that we were given, the English language, and they were making it make sense. And it, was, it, it took right. eight years because, because think about it. Think about it. In, in 1960, we weren't talking about institutional systemic racism. We weren't talking about hereditary wealth. We were just we just knew we hurt, and we didn't have the, the tools to destroy the house. When? In 1960. That, that, in that, yeah, in 19. I was talking about the the the, the, the civil rights was the movement. civil rights bill. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was a civil rights bill, but but it it still left us a little hanging. It still left us. It still left us on the leech a little bit, you know, on, on the lurch a little bit. And, and right, so well, now, because a lot of people saw it. I was going to say a lot of people saw it as like the end all, be all. You know that right. when it was written about civil rights, that they thought that they were really going to be civil rights. You know, but going back to what you said about you can't use the master's tools to bring down his house. I mean, well, let's ask Ramses the second. Because Moses went to him with the tools hey of the Egyptians, and we know what history taught us for that. 
You said, and that's I, what, I don't mean and to interrupt you. Hold on a second, guys, real quick. We only got limited time, so we uh, got about five more minutes left in this part of the, the session yeah. that we have to adhere to, and I got a hand up. Somebody wants to say I'm something. So oh, let's, my goodness. Let's give, a, let's give this voice a chance to say something. I don't want you to be quiet, brother. I, I just want to make sure we get the show on time so that we don't miss any of this wonderful moment. We never have enough time. We always go through this. 2444, your line is open. Hey guys, this is Savannah. Uh, hey, hi, Savannah. Hey, Savannah. Uh, and hi, Chris. Savannah. Uh, I just wanted y'all to know that I was listening to the show. Um, I really um, was looking forward to hearing uh, the conversation about uh, generational trauma and, of course, generational curses, um, specifically related to something that I went through this week. Um, so it was just super personal to me. And, um, <laughs> I'm just um, glad and excited about the context that you guys put to, um, you know, how slavery and, you know, the issues in the criminal justice system, once again, just tie in. I, I don't think that there, we can have enough conversations about that. So, Thank you. It's good to hear your voice, Savannah. I've been Thank worried you. about Thank you. Uh, anything you want to say to our guest, Christopher Johnson, tonight? I really enjoyed uh, the the readings um, for tonight, um, and I I just I hadn't heard of you, but I'm definitely gonna look you up and and try to find more of your work. So uh, just thank you for all you do. Thank you, thank you. I do it for us, and I appreciate you. Being, I appreciate you listening. With that being said, I want to give this last four minutes to you, Christopher Johnson. So. Go ahead and tell us a little bit more. Leave some words of wisdom and some tips for upcoming spoken word artists, poets, and potential playwrights. Well, the the thing that uh, that about tips, I'll start there with the tips. Is uh, you you know Reggie Gibson was one of my mentors. So uh, one of the things that Reggie Gibson um, taught me. If y'all don't know who Reggie Gibson is, you should look him up because he's uh, he's one he's one Love of my Jones. Yeah, love, the, the movie Love Jones was written about him. All these Love Jones poets out here don't know where the Gibson is, then you ain't a Love Jones poet. You know, you're you faking a funk. But, yeah, anyway, um, so Reggie oh. Gibson told me to read everything. Read everything. Just read everything. I'm not. I'm sorry, bro. You're not faking a funk. You just you just should know who Reggie Gibson is. But read Hold everything. On. Do not. Huh? <laughs> oh, oh, I know you know. I know you know. I know you know. You met him. You you met him at my house. But anyway, um, read everything because you know I read this book called uh, White Sparks, Black Flame, and it was all about how um, white people started everything. Um, and 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 it was it, for me it was a great tool to use to dismantle um, white arguments because they you know it's like they write shit and and they think they're being intellectual. And they're not. So just read everything, especially when it comes to, like, we're decolonizing things now. I, I, I really want to hear, like, Max pushes the abolitionist movement. I push decolonization, you know. And, it, and it's the same freaking thing, just two different words. Because if we, if right. we, if we, abolish, if we abolish slavery, then we're decolonizing our thoughts. And the only way we're going to do, do this abolishment work is to decolonize how we freaking we, we can't we can't approach them with their shit. So read everything is, is my thing. Don't don't just read what you think you like. Read everything. Um, the second thing that I I, I want to say is we really have to start um, treating our women better. 
And and women, I, I'm not going to, I have no advice for women. I have no advice for women. Um, it, it's just more, um, I, I, I grew up in Metronetta, and we had this whole thing about FOTEPs. Remember, Max, FOTEPs? The conversation um, we had about FOTEPs is these people who call themselves Hotep Brothers, but they're I not real Hotep Brothers. I remember hearing a few conversations about uh, the Hotep Brothers, yes. Yeah, but they FOTEP, <laughs> they fake. They fake as fuck. Because you you can't study the Metanetter. You can't study Egyptian freaking history. You can't study Egyptian cosmology and not realize such with your feminine side. And you have to give women the freedom to be women. There's no way around it. It's a sore and our set. It's not a sore. It's a sore and our set. It's two. You know? And and, and so, you know, I hate I hate that when I come around and I start talking and they be like, here come one of them hotel brothers. And I be like, nah, that's, that, them motherfuckers don't represent me. They don't represent me. I, I recognize that, that, you know, I have to be in contact with my softer side in order to, you know, actually treat my woman the way she needs to be treated. Yes, I do that, I do that black queen shit. But, but no, I don't do that. You need to straighten, you need to get your natural freaking hair. Do you. Hey, Chris. Do you. We're running low, bro. Can we get the website for you one more time and your contact and, and information and it, and it, if they want to book you? So all you got to do, I'm the only one on the Internet. There's nobody. My shit's been patented and, and, and um, copyrighted. T-H-E-N, no I, T-H-E-N-C-R-E-D-I-B-U-L-L. Google L that. And an N. Yep, Google that and I come up. Nobody else, nothing else will come up. It's all me. That I'm the only the incredible that's spelled that way on the internet. <laughs> Word. Uh, and Google pay, Trans pay money, too. Paid money for that shit. <laughs> oh, Trans and Talk. Oh, man, Trans and Talk. Oh, and, 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 and um, if you're white and you're listening, don't forget that, that equity is a big part of this. Equity is a big part of Max being on the radio. Equity and, and you, Brother Yusef being on the radio. Equity is a big part of me being able to, to, to do what I do and the work that I do. I don't, this is my freaking job. I am a full-time writer and performer. Max can, can back me up on this. You know, I, I open up doors and bring people in so that other voices can be heard. This is what I do full-time. You know, and so equity is a big part of this. If you're white and you have better resources than most black people, pay it. Just freaking pay it. Don't talk about it. Just pay it. I don't care if it's five dollars or five hundred dollars. Freaking pay it, because you don't have. If we'd known you all were going to be this money. much trouble, we would have picked our own fucking cotton. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Equity is a huge part of this. You you can you can talk about you not racist and you anti-racist all day long if you ain't putting your money where your mouth is. You just talking. You already are getting into the equity of our sponsors. What you guys think now? Jailhouse. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, we 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 actually yeah we don't even really have time. I'm, oh yeah, go ahead and run it down real quick and then I'll go straight into our closing comments, man. Chris, thank you for tonight, brother. We love you, man. We hope you're welcome. From your you're welcome. Love you today. Too. Um, Love you thanks our sponsors. Of course, brother. Hang on, we ain't done. You can listen to the rest of the show. You hung on this long. Might as well listen to the end of it, right? I'm, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll listen. I'm here. I'm here. So we want to thank our sponsors, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak. I am We Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, uh, Prismatic Dreams, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, and Same Urge uh, Uplifting Racial Justice.
up next week for another week of special feed with poetry. Hang on and listen to it. You want to introduce the final segment there, Yusuf? Oh, absolutely. So our final segment uh, this evening is an address to the free colored American in 1837. This is followed by To Be Continued by Max Parthas, Tribal Rain, and tonight's guest, Christopher the Incredible Johnson. And I can't wait to hear that. So uh, thank you all for listening. We want to thank our brother Christopher the Incredible Johnson for joining us this evening. Thanks to all of our callers, all of our people who called in to listen, and those who are on listening online in the U.S. and around the world. Until next week, think about abolition today. Peace and blessings be upon you all. Peace. Abolition. 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 Recording by Elizabeth Klatt. An address to free colored Americans, issued by an anti-slavery convention of American women. Section 1. Speech of Mr. Moore, House of Delegates, Virginia, 1832. How horrible must be that system which demands as the necessary condition of its existence that knowledge should be shut out from the minds of those who live under it, that they should be reduced as nearly as possible to the level of brutes or living machines, that the powers of their souls should be crushed. Let each one of us ask, Can such a system be aided, or even tolerated, without deep criminality? Addressed to the Press of Kentucky by a Committee of the Synod of Kentucky But even if slavery could be divested of all its horrible accompaniments, its ignorance, licentiousness, and other nameless abominations, we should still regard the circumstance of man holding his brother-man as property as one of the blackest crimes which corrupt human nature ever invented. Mr. Moore, in the speech from which we have already quoted, is compelled to acknowledge the iniquity of this system. It cannot be denied, he says, as a general principle, that it is an act of tyranny, injustice, and oppression to hold any part of the human race in bondage against their consent. The right to the enjoyment of liberty is one of those perfect, inherent, and inalienable rights which pertain to the whole human race, and of which they can never be divested except by an act of gross injustice. If we would rightly estimate the wretchedness in which the perpetuation of this act of gross injustice has involved one-sixth part of the population of Republican America, we must compare the condition of our slaves with that of the free men of their own age and country. Things are estimated by comparison, and the man who is deprived of every natural, civil, and social right, while all around him are basking in the sunshine of freedom, must feel the fangs of slavery much more poignantly than the one who, though subjected to similar privations, beholds his lot but little below that of those who surround him. We must not, therefore, compare the situation of slaves in the United States with that of the slaves of heathen Greece and Rome, where equal laws never existed, and where the beams of liberty and Christianity never shone, but to form a correct judgment of the miseries endured by our slaves, We must compare them with the laboring class of our population in the free states, and we may then comprehend the debasing influence of a system which produces such dreadful results as are exhibited on almost every southern plantation, where the lash is the principal, if not the only, stimulus. You are, dear friends, 
in a peculiar manner fellow-sufferers with those who are in bondage, because the whites, having reduced their colored brethren to slavery, with a cruelty proportioned to their unjust usurpation of power, have labored to impress on the mind of the community the unfounded calumny that the people of color are unfit for freedom. This assertion is designed on the part of slaveholders as a salve for their consciences, and a plea for the continuation of slavery, and is used by the adversary of all good for the diabolical purpose of shielding from merited infamy the system of American slavery. Nothing will contribute more to break the bondman's fetters than an example of high moral worth, intellectual culture, and religious attainments among the free people of color, living epistles known and read of all men, a standard of exalted piety, of dedication to the works of righteousness, of humble-mindedness, of Christian charity, to which abolitionists may confidently point, and ask those who are forging the manacles of hopeless servitude for our countrymen, what they can answer to the judge of all the earth for thus robbing him of his immortal creatures, and to demand of them, in view of what their slaves might be, to restore their victims to themselves, to the human family, and to God. We know, and we rejoice in the knowledge, that the gift of intellect is coextensive with the human race, and that our brethren and sisters, who are writhing under the lash of worse than Egyptian taskmasters, whose minds are beclouded by ignorance and enfeebled by suffering, need only to have the same advantages which Europeans and their descendants have enjoyed, triumphantly to refute the unfounded calumny that they are inferior in the powers of intellect, and less susceptible of mental improvement. We maintain that the people of color are not in any respect inferior to the white man, and that under favorable circumstances they would rise again to the rank they formerly held. The everlasting architecture of Africa still exists, the wonder of the world, though in ruins. Her mighty kingdoms have yet their record in history. She has poured forth her heroes on the field, given bishops to the church, and martyrs to the fires. And for African physiognomy, as though that should shut out the light of intellect, go to your national museum, contemplate the features of the colossal head of Memnon, and the statues of the divinities on which the ancient Africans impressed their own forms, and there see, in close resemblance to their features, the mould of those countenances which once beheld as the creatures of their own immortal genius, the noblest and most stupendous monuments of human skill and taste and grandeur. In the imperishable porphyry and granite is the unfounded and pitiful slander publicly and before all the world refuted. There we see the African under cultivation. If he now presents a different aspect, cultivation is wanting. That solves the whole case. For even now, where education has been expended upon the pure and undoubted descendants of Africans, it has never been bestowed in vain. Modern times have witnessed in their persons generals, physicians, philosophers, linguists, poets, mathematicians, and merchants, all eminent in their attainments, energetic in enterprise, and honorable in character. And the mission schools in the West Indies exhibit a quickness of intellect, even a thirst for learning, to which the schools of this country do not always afford a parallel. To be continued.
be continued. No true words have ever been spoken, unbroken, unending, unfinished, until, unto all of the generations of nations like inequity, poverty, slavery, war, hate, and starvation, misery, oppression, repression, and greed to be continued without a doubt or question. Indeed, more like a promise wrapped in a prayer, undone with more to come for everyone, everywhere, every time, every place, for every race on the face of this earth to be continued. Issue forth with the force of a generational curse. There's more profits to make, more tribute to take, more of our innocent, ignorant lives are at stake, more mistakes and mishaps, repeats and recaps. Our history shows we react and reflect at infinitum. More decisions will be made based on the skin I'm in to be continued in a perpetual virtual pursuit like the prodigal problems of a bad seed's fruit, like the interest rates we get from all the ancient debts to date unpaid and yet still way past due like the loan of this poem transit to be continued by you my revolution is an evolution that's why i don't talk about it i be about it counting the bodies the bounty of moments like black towels and county penal facilities my body's the facility of something godly facilitating random acts of godliness like in god we trust but god is missed just three squiggly lines on a dollar bill like if we fill our pockets with objects illegal tender we get more heaven i get more heaven every day i awake to be continued in my prayers like i want to continue talking to God. My revolution is an evolution to see that ain't too hard to be continued. To be continued. Like the children of the four walking around, bellies full to the brim with malnourishment. Like our ancestors and their ancestors before. Like our brethren now, still enslaved by power, money, and greed. Doing all manners of atrocities and misdeeds. To be continued. Like the single mother working 80 hours a week just to keep the water on and maintain the heat. To keep the light bill paid and food on the table. To occasionally gift her kids with a rare treat whenever she finds herself financially able. To be continued. Like the eight-year-old drug dealer on the corner or the teenage girl on the street. Like the abandoned and misabused children and all the secrets that they keep. Like the women abused by their spouses and the fathers who walked out on their sons. Marred by the scars of yesterdays and the past they can't outrun. To be continued. To be continued like the genetic memories of our ancestors caught in the eternal web of affliction. To be continued like a crackhead's next fix or the latest drug-induced addiction. To be continued like the chains that I have rattling in my darkest of dreams. Like the fabric of my soul that's torn apart at the seams. Like the tears of a mother who wakes up to having one child left. Like the prayers that go unanswered, I'm just this short of being blessed to be continued. To be continued long after I'm dead and gone, when the last seed has been planted and there's no more songs to be sung. To be continued like the verses of this poem. To be continued. Abolition. 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 Abolition.